0: The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning. Boy, it's great to have you all here. Thank God for the rain that we had. It's a blessing, and I just pray that God's Spirit will fall upon you like rain today and that your lives will be blessed as well as we continue to worship God, look at His Word. We're in the series dealing with faith and it's examples of faith out of the New Testament. We're sort of coming an end to the Gospels. We got one more next week. uh, Doug Fern will be looking at faith in the life of Timothy. And so today we're going to look at the Passion Week in particular, and we're going to be looking at some examples of foolish faith. So what I'd like for us to do, normally we'll, we perhaps might read together or sometimes we stand and, and read a portion of scripture. What I'd like to do is to have us read together. Let's all stand up. We're gonna to read together something that has been read as a Christian church for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years It actually started way back uh, about 140 AD, uh, the Roman form of it, the Latin form about 390 after death. And it's called the Apostles' Creed. Many of you are familiar with it. It is so packed with meaning and it deals with a lot of the time that we're gonna be looking at today. So let's recite the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From hence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, So we're we're at this portion of Scripture right at the end, this Passion Week period of time where we get to see a lot of different elements of faith. And unfortunately, we get to see some foolish faith along with some profound faith as well. So let me just give you a little bit of the setting of where we are. Uh, Jesus has been up all night. He has been betrayed uh, by Judas, and we're gonna look at Judas in just a second, tried by Annas, then tried again by the high priest, by Caiaphas in both cases. He was found innocent of treason, but guilty of blasphemy, guilty of claiming uh, to be God. And yet at, at the same time, the government of Rome couldn't put somebody to death for a religious claim like this, but he was bound, he was beaten, he was whipped. He was placed in the jail of Caiaphas, and he was beaten by, by the Sanhedrin, okay? So this was a religious conviction, religious punishment. Uh, at the same time, Peter now, in the garden, denies Jesus three times. Uh, Dave Foster alluded to that as he looked at the life of Peter. Thankfully, Peter, though, he repents. He puts his faith, his trust in Jesus, and he becomes a Christ follower, What I wanna look at is Judas in the shadows. There's a guy by the name of Matthew, and according to Matthew, he's watching in the shadows, and there's this guy, this guy, Judas, who sort of sneaks up on us. And it says, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind, and he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest, to the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. Matthew makes it extremely clear that he's using different words to describe Peter from Judas. Two very different reactions. Peter felt really bad. Peter wept, uh, felt bad but he repented and became a follower of Christ. Judas actually wept so bad that he ended up killing himself. But Judas wasn't a Christ follower. So Matthew makes it so clear in the use of words here. It says that he changed his mind. Metamelami is the word. It just means Judas got to the point where he felt really remorseful. He felt sad. He, he felt regretful over what he did, but it didn't yield repentance. It didn't end up with a metanoeo. It didn't end up in a change of mind that would change his conception of Jesus and therefore alter his direction in life, like it did with Peter. On the one hand, Judas watched Jesus walk on water. He watched him calm the wind, calm the waves. And he's thinking, boy, if Moses could strike down Pharaoh, if Elijah could strike down false prophets, why couldn't Jesus overthrow the Roman Empire? And so Judas was disillusioned by the whole thing. Uh, And when Judas saw that Jesus was going to be a suffering servant, like a lamb, be led before his shears. He knew that he had guessed wrong. So instead of just weeping bitterly and turning to Christ, he felt extremely remorseful. He felt regretful, and then he killed himself. So the lesson from foolish Judas, don't try and force Jesus into a box of your own design. And when he doesn't fit your box, you're going to betray him. That is foolish, foolish faith. There are a lot of people who feel regretful for things, bad about things, but it doesn't actually change their mind about Jesus and change their direction. If you have a pencil and if you have your notes there, I want you to write down a passage. It's Second Corinthians chapter 7. And right here, the Apostle Paul shows the distinct difference between the two. He says, as it is, I rejoice. He says, I rejoice because you were remorseful, you grieved, you were regretful, but it, it led to repenting. See, he makes that whole case. Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief, worldly despair only leads to death. That was the case of Judas. So that's the lesson from Foolish Judas, um, and yet when we come to Pilate and we find a fool in the palace, we're going to find Pilate as some somebody who is very selfish, who is very egocentric, who is egomaniacal. Uh, he is absolutely consumed in, in himself. He would be the opposite of what we looked at last week. Instead of a kernel of wheat falling to the earth and dying, dying to self, living for Christ, he only lived for himself, and we're gonna see this kind of egocentric, selfish faith play out. So it's about six thirty in the morning now, the sun is barely starting to rise, and if the Sanhedrin can just get Pilate, the Roman governor, to find Jesus guilty of sedition, guilty of a Roman charge, then they could get Jesus out of their hair and get him crucified. The problem is there's still no political indictment. So he's already been found guilty three times by the religious establishment, by by Annas, by uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, by the Sanhedrin. But they've got to get Rome to declare him guilty. So this is where Pilate uh, comes in. If he can just be pressed uh, to the point where he would make that conviction. But Pilate, we're gonna see this in a minute, is very concerned about his place in Rome. So who is Pilate? Herod the Great, this is the guy who tried to kill, kill Jesus as a baby. Herod the Great has a son. His name is Herod Antipas. That's the guy we're talking about right now. Well, Herod Antipas let the Jews get out of control, which ticked Caesar off. So Caesar said, you know what? You are, are no longer going to be king of the Jews. That was the, his dad's title. Herod the Great's title was king of the Jews. So Herod Antipas, since he's messed things up, he was defrocked of that title and sent as a tetrarch to Galilee. And in in his place to oversee Jerusalem, to oversee this whole area, there was a Roman governor appointed, and his name was Pontius Pilate, a Spaniard by the name of Pontius Pilate. He started out he was in Caesarea, but for the Passover, he would come down to, to Jerusalem, to the palace of Anna. So you have, you have on, the, on the northeast side of Jerusalem, you have the, the temple where the high priest would be, where the, the religious temple. And then directly to the west of it, you would have the, the more civil palace. You'd have the, the Tower of, of Antonium. You would have the Praetorium where judgment would take place. So we have Pontius Pilate. Now, Rome did not like Pontius Pilate either. They didn't like Herod Antipas. They ticked him off. Pilate threatened the Jews, didn't follow through. And Caesar had very little tolerance for somebody who had threatened somebody and not follow through with a threat. So they took his famous title away. He was what was called a friend to Caesar. It would be like in Australia, Uh, the term, if you were a really, really, really good friend of somebody, you would be called a mate. I don't know if you saw the man from Snowy River, but if you were a really good friend, you were called a mate. So the really good term for somebody who who was in with Caesar was a friend of Caesar, but because he messed up with this thing with the Jews, he was defrocked of that title. He was no longer the friend of Caesar. And so the Jews thought, now we can use this against Pilate to get Pilate to do exactly what we want him to do. So now it's about 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. The sun's coming coming up just a little bit. And Pilate now comes out of, so we're in the northwest. He comes out of the praetorium. That's another word for the judgment hall. He comes out, he wants to know this charge. So all of the Sanhedrin had gone from the temple over to the palace where Herod's palace, they've gone over there and um, Pilate wants to know what in the world is going on. What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Now, the truth is he's already been tried uh, three times. And so Pilate says, take him yourselves. You judge him by your own law. He, d- he did not want to get involved in this. He's already lost the title friend to Caesar. He did not want to lose his job, did not want to get in trouble with Rome. You judge him yourselves by your own law. And the Jews said, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So now they take things out of context they began to accuse Jesus. We found this man misleading our nation. And notice how they try and weave in a political indictment here, forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So now they begin to lie. They begin to twist the truth and and to say that he is politically guilty of sedition. So Pilate now takes Jesus back into the praetorium. Now, it's interesting that Paul is going to end up with the... That's the son of Herod the Great. The great-grandson of Herod the Great, Herod Agrippa II, will have Paul right there in the very same spot in the praetorium uh, a number of years later. So he questions Jesus further. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say that this on your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to them, so you're a king? And Jesus answered, you know, that, this is part of the sedition part, the political uh, ploy you say that I'm a king for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So Pilate said to him, you know, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Pilate just absolutely wanted to wash his hands of any responsibility, did not want to take a stand, So he says to the chief priests, to the crowds, I find no guilt in him. And yet they continue to insist. And so at this point, remember Herod the Great has a son, Herod Antipas, Herod Antipas loses his title, king of the Jews. They send him as tetrarch over Galilee. Because it's Passover, he's back. So Pilate again wants to wash his hand. This is the kind of faith he has, okay? And we're going to talk about that in just a second. He is only, his faith is in himself. He is totally egomaniacal, consumed in himself. What advantages him, what's good for him, what's important to him, that's all he cares about. So at this particular point, he says, huh, I'll wash my hands. I'll hand it over to Herod, who's there in town. Now again, many, I I know, I I did it for years as a a new believer. I would read the New Testament, and I'd read about Herod, and I I would always think, now, Herod, how, how could Herod be here, and Herod be here? Well, there are about six different Herods mentioned in the Bible, so I put that in your notes. You can see that there's Herod the Great. That was the one who tried to kill Jesus as a baby. Herod Antipas, that's the one we're talking about now. Then there's Herod Agrippa I. He's the one who ended up killing uh, James and arresting Peter. And then Herod Agrippa II, that's the one who took Paul back before the Praetorium. So they're all those Herods. They're all Edomites. In other words, they're all what I would call the classic pagan uh, faith. Um, And when you, when you look at them, even, even when the apostle Paul, even when the great grandson brings the apostle Paul, he says, hasn't your great faith driven you mad? Are you trying to persuade me to be a Christian? And you look at Herod Antipas that takes Jesus before him. You know, he just, he, he gives him a robe, mocks him. He wants him, he wants him to perform. He wants Jesus to do a miracle for him. All of the Herods are exactly the same. All of them, all six mentioned in the New Testament are fascinated by metaphysical discussion. But absolutely none of them are interested in obedient, saving faith through a savior. They will talk religion until the day is long. I mean, they won't stop debating religion, talking religion, talking metaphysics, wanting to see miracles. I mean, they want all of that stuff. But when it comes to saving faith, they don't want any part of it. And that's the lesson from foolish Herod. On the one hand, they're very curious. They're very inquisitive. They love religious mysticism. But um, they're totally cranial, totally in their lives. Uh, It's a very, very dangerous place to stand if you can't take that inquisitiveness, and then go forward to the point of saving childlike faith. So he's been tried three times, found innocent three, three times, tried three times politically, tried twice uh, polit- uh, pol- religiously and politically twice by uh, Pilate, by Herod, um, and now it's about Friday morning, a little bit later, about 7.30 in the morning, the sun now is is about to peak over the horizon. And now there's a crowd outside the praetorium. People know something is going on. The Sadducees are there. All the Pharisees are there. They've gone from the east side of Jerusalem to the west side. The people are out in the streets. And this is the setting for the showdown at the O.K. Corral. I mean, this is the big This is the big deal here. Everything, the stage is set. So Pilate calls together the chief priests, the rulers of the people, says to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I didn't find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod. Uh, He sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done. I'll therefore punish him. I will scourge him and release him. So we're going to see now Pilate, he's already been scourged, already been beaten by the Jews in, in, um, in the temple, in the jail of Caiaphas. He's already been beaten once. And now he's saying, look, I will beat this guy. Rather than, than me risk my position, rather than me get in trouble once again, I would just soon have this guy beat to a pulp then me risk anything uh, uh, that would have anything to do with my own good. So now we also involve the crowds outside and we're gonna see a whole different kind of faith here. They're gonna be out in the streets and we're gonna see the fickleness of the crowds because I wanna remind you of what happened just a week before. These same crowds, you know where they were? They were out on the streets Hosanna, 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 you know, just crying out, you know, waving palm branches, you know, here he comes, you know, the Jesus, you know, on the donkey, so thrilled. And a week later, I mean not even a week later, they are calling for his death. Crucify him. Crucify him. Because Jesus wouldn't use his messianic powers to overthrow Rome, they don't want anything to do with him. So the lesson from the foolish crowd, don't be like the foolish crowd that calls him blessed until he doesn't perform the way you think he should perform. This crowd was the perfect example of absolute fickle faith. They, they were driven by their hormones. They, their, their brain was reduced down to the reptilian brain, just the amygdala. That was about the only thing that drove them was the amygdala. I mean, there was no thinking, no processing. They were like a velociraptor. You know, on one hand, you know, everything's great. The next minute, you know, rah, 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 rah. they just want to chew anything in their path. And that was Jesus. Just crucified, crucified, driven by their, their amygdala. Uh, fickle, fickle faith. You know, Pilate knew that Jesus was going to be delivered up for envy. He, he knew that, that at this point. So he wants to protect himself by exposing the motives of the religious crowd. So he gives them an option. Pilate says... I mean, do you see how selfishly driven Pilate is? It's just absolutely amazing. The exact opposite of what we said last week, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the earth and die, it'll, it'll remain there, but, it, but if it die, does die, it'll bear a lot of fruit. It's the exact opposite, of, it's the exact opposite of dying to self. Um, so he gives them this option. He says, look, each year I have the privilege as the Roman governor to release somebody from you, uh, to you. Who do you want? Do you want this one guy who is claiming to be the son of God? Or I can release to you Bar Abba. Bar, son, Abba, father. Son of the father. You've got a choice. I can either release to you son of the father, a murderer, and a known insurrectionist, or I can release to you bar Abba, the one who claims to be the son of the father, the son of God. Which one do you want? And of course, they cried out, release the known insurrectionist." So see, Pilate is sort of preserving himself. He's excusing himself from any kind of decision-making whatsoever. Away with this man, release to us Barabbas. A man who has been thrown into prison for insurrection, started in the city and for murder. And, um, and they yell again, crucify him, crucify him. And so the third time he's saying, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I'll therefore, at this point, I'm going to punish him and release him. Four different times Pilate is trying to release him, but he never, ever takes a firm stand. And so he sends him back down into the praetorium to have him scourged. He's already been scourged by the religious establishment. And now he, is, he goes through what the Romans would call the verberatio, the scourging, the verberatio, where they would lean him over a, a, a post, a pole, and they would have him stripped. He would be tied, hands and ankles over the pole. You'd have a lector on one side with a cat of nine tails embedded with glass or pottery or lead. And then you'd have another lector on the other side and they would take turns, flog, pull. Then the guy from the opposite side, flog, pull. Now the Jews, when this took place in the jail of Caiaphas on the religious side, they could, the Jews could only flog a person of you know, 40 minus 1 they could never do it more than that because it would, it would kill them. The Romans did not have that restriction whatsoever. They could flog somebody as much as they wanted to. And usually most historians would say, anybody going through the verbaratio, ver- ver- verbi- most wouldn't live past it because it would, it would open up their abdomen, their, their um, organs would, would start to fall out. And so the Romans would, if they did it less frequently, or not as much if they quit a little too soon they would just hang on the cross longer if they did it too much they wouldn't get to hang on the cross quite as long so that's Pilate knowing in his heart that Jesus was okay Um, let Rome do this they put the purple robe on him they played the game of the king you know prophesy who hit you who hit you They gave him a a reed, symbol of mockery, crown of thorns. Um, You think of what Jesus went through. (laughs) Beaten twice, once by the religious establishment, once by Rome. Uh, He hasn't eaten since the last supper that he had with his friends. He hasn't slept. Now, Pilate takes Jesus out after all this goes on and he has two words, the two Latin words, ecce homo, behold, a man. He's just saying, ecce homo, just a man. He's going, what's the big deal? He's just a man. He, he's not God. He's not a king. He's just a man. So Jesus brings. Uh, G, uh, after he says this to the crowd, he's just a man. And they scream out, We have a law. According to that law, he's got to die because he's making himself out to be the son of God. Finally, at this point, Pilate takes Jesus back into the praetorium again, because now he's thinking they, all these people really think Jesus is a god. And according to Roman mythology, it was possible for the gods, the mythological gods, to become men. And so Pilate wanted to make sure he wasn't going to be guilty of, you know, killing Apollos or something, killing a God who has now become a man. So he brings him back in. Don't you know that I have the authority to release you, authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has a greater sin. Um, And so at that point, Pilate wanted to release him. He knew he wasn't guilty but he takes him out and the Jews had that ace up their sleeve. And again, it just uncovers his selfish faith. The ace up the, the sleeve was, hey, you already lost your favor with Caesar. You've lost that title, friend of Caesar. If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. And everybody who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So now they caught Pilate. And so Pilate gives the order to have Jesus crucified. See, a lesson from foolish Pilate. Everybody, every day has a choice to make. Am I going to be a friend to the world or am I going to be a friend to God? I mean, bottom line, you can't have it both ways. You can't be a friend to the world and a friend of God at the same time. Pilate tried to straddle those worlds and he couldn't do it. So Pilate was faced with a decision that every single person who comes face to face with the claims of the gospel, must deal with. Shall I lose my life and possibly find it? Or shall I save my life and lose my life if this man is who he claims to be? Pilate stands now at the crossroads that every single man, woman, boy, or girl who ever hears the claims of the gospel stand. Will I choose the sacred or will I choose the profane? That's the choice of faith. Sacred or profane, Pilate, like many, will throw their chips to the world and reject the sacred. Or perhaps like Herod, try and straddle both realms. It'll never work. Or try and do what's good for yourself like Pilate. It will never work. Or try and be fickle like the crowds. It will never work. Pilate is the example of egomaniacal faith. He takes the water, he washes his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See it to yourselves, his blood be on us. And he released released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Do you see the irony of refusing to die yourself, to die to yourself does when it comes to the gospel. Barabbas, the son of the father who stole, who murdered, who was a known insurrectionist, now walks as an innocent man because another, Barabbas, son of the father, Will go to a cross and die in his place. Six trials Annas, Caiaphas, Sanhedrin, Peter, Herod, Peter. Found innocent six times, but the verdict of the Sanhedrin, the verdict of the crowd, the verdict of Rome says guilty. Yet, God's verdict of Jesus on Calvary's cross on Good Friday was innocent. Jesus is the son of God who takes away the sin of the world. And on that cross, Jesus Christ bore the sin of every man, woman, child who would ever put their faith and their trust in him. The only question that's left is, what say you of Jesus? Deceiver, blasphemer, devil, entertainer, metaphysical mystery, interesting. Or maybe like Pilate, ecce homo, just a man? Or is he God become flesh? Where are you ultimately, I mean, we've been in the series now for weeks looking at what faith is. Are you ultimately going to put your faith, put your chips on Jesus? That is the ultimate question. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Please don't be like Herod. Don't be like Herod, entertained by a lot of religious talk. Don't be like the fickleness of the crowd. Don't be like Pilate, only consumed in self, curious. And for God's sake, don't just be remorseful like Judas. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day. Of salvation. I beg you, don't sit indifferent. Put your faith, your trust in the Savior of the world. Let's all stand up and I'll close with prayer and then we're going to close with a song following that. Lord, it can be <laughs> very easy to identify with words that were sung years ago I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and I wonder how how he could love me a sinner and condemned unclean oh God for Jesus nobility for his faithfulness in the midst of trial for the suffering that none of us will ever have to face we thank you Lord, we don't have to follow a Caesar. We don't have to follow a Tetrarch. We don't have to follow a governor filled with just a bunch of words and admonitions. But we follow one filled with love. Love so deep, he would go to a cross and die for our sin. One filled with faithfulness, one filled with integrity, one who epitomizes that perfect tension of grace and truth Lord we we follow an admiral an admiral who becomes like one of the lowest of swabs a general that will become like one of the lowest of plebes but for the joy set before him he will endure the cross despise the shame and looking to his resurrection and ultimate exaltation, who was crucified, who was found guilty, bore our punishment, so that those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus might be cloaked in his righteousness and freed from any and all condemnation, so that there is no guilt no shame and no stain. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And so God, with our hearts crying out, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from unrighteousness. Receive me to yourself. Lord, I know now it's not enough just to have the remorse of a Judas or the curiosity of a Herod or the fickleness of a crowd or the selfishness of a Pilate. I must come to you with childlike faith. Receive me into yourself. I receive your gift of salvation by what you've done on the cross and sealed by your resurrection. And just with your eyes closed, your heads bowed, if you would have prayed a prayer, something like that, if that is the desire of your heart, please do not walk out of these doors when we close without telling somebody. There'll be, we'll be up here, some elders, some staff, uh, ministry leaders who will be available to talk to you. Somebody at the information booth would love to chat with you. Please don't leave this place without talking to somebody. We would love to spend that time with you. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can stand alone amazed in the presence of Jesus, the one who loves me. Sinners, condemned unclean, but now bearing the very righteousness of Christ. We thank you and we pray it all in Jesus' name for his sake, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 522-45.